I have a bowl of chocolate mint ice cream and a freshly cooked bowl of broccoli. I'm going to choose the broccoli. You might not know why, but I'm going to choose the broccoli. Because when we first got married, we went shopping, and we bought this cheap ice cream, chocolate mint ice cream, and that box was sitting in our freezer, I think it was well over a year. It was horrible stuff. So when I see chocolate mint ice cream, I think it was even a couple of years ago, we saw some of this uh, wherever it was, restaurants, no way. Probably tasted good, but my choice was something other. Why do you choose the things that you want to choose? Well, it's the same thing for myself. I did not want that ice cream. I would prefer that broccoli. When it comes to our walk with Christ, we have to make a decision every time we come upon something, and should I do this or shouldn't I do this? And the, the reason why you do anything is because you want to do it, right? I wanted that, bo- that bowl of broccoli. That's why I, I wanted that, and I didn't want that. That's the way our will works. When we become Christians, when we're born again, we are taken out of the domain of darkness. We're brought into the kingdom, uh, sorry, we're brought into the light of the saints. And our heart is changed now because of the Son the Father loves. And as our love for the Father grows, the decisions that we make fall into what we desire most, and that is the love of Christ. We're talking today about redemption. And as we look at redemption, let's look again at the first few verses in Colossians chapter 1. It says, giving thanks. Now, I think in February, I was preaching here on Thanksgiving. And I think the title of the sermon was Thanksgiving, but it says we are, thank, thanks, we are thankful to the Father because of the hope that's laid up for us in heaven. So we're back to thanking God. Anyway, let's continue on here. Again, let's, I'm going to start at verse 12 again. Uh, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Before creation ever existed, We have the supremacy of Christ. We have the transcendent God who has planned stuff. 
before anything was created, before we were around, he had planned stuff. He had planned our redemption. And that plan was based upon the work of God himself. That the God of all creation looked at our need for redemption and he sent his son and his, the son willingly came to redeem us through forgiving our sins. And he sent the Spirit so that when we are uh, when the Spirit comes upon us, we can actually understand what the Father's plan was all about. We can begin to understand what redemption is all about. Now, redemption is, again, we all have our own understanding of redemption. And redemption is, if you have a coupon and you want to redeem it for uh, a gallon of gasoline, you can do that. That's kind of what redemption is all about. But one of the things that has come to my mind is, you know, when we have a word, can we replace it with another word that helps us understand maybe a shade of meaning of the word redemption? And I think, um, for myself, I've been contemplating the other, another word, which I think helps me understand what redemption is. And that is, if we think about redemption as something that was planned way before time, we can replace the word redemption with promise. Promise. That might sound a little strange, but promise. God promised to take us out of darkness into the light of the saints. God promised It's not the full definition of redemption, but it gives us an understanding of where redemption has come from. It comes from the eternal God. Before all time, he promised. And as we go into the scriptures, we can think of all the promises that were made. We can think of Adam. We can think of Abraham. We just went through Genesis. We can think of uh, the children of Israel. We can think of uh, David. When he was running away from Saul, we can think of uh, well, Hezekiah, right? He was worried about the Assyrians. They were knocking on his door. Promise. What does that mean? God promised redemption. I'm not sure what... Uh, again, I started, we started coming to this church, and I didn't catch the beginning of uh, Genesis when Pastor Tyler went through that. And so I was looking at the beginning of Genesis and the redemption there or the promise there. And maybe you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. And the thing that always confused me when it came to Adam and Eve Actually, it was two things. One was, um, in Genesis chapter 3, or even before that, God said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil, what happens? The day that you eat it, you will die. Did they die right away? 
Did they die physically? It says they will die physically. Did they? When judgment is pronounced on somebody and it's not carried through, there's two things that are possible, right? One is there's injustice or what's the opposite of justice? What's the opposite of justice? Right. So if you look at the discussion around why they didn't die that day, it's because of mercy, mercy, mercy. Did they die? Well, it's a good thing for us because if we sin, it says the day that we sin, we should die physically, but there's mercy there. The other thing that was bothering me was There's redemption there. But, yeah, take a look at Genesis 3. I'm looking at Genesis 3 here, and I'm looking at what happened to Adam and Eve on the day that they ate it, and God pronounces... um, Judgment. Uh, or curse, if you will, on Eve. And we find that there's a number of different things that take place there. We find that uh, to the woman, there's increase in child per- childbearing pain. I don't see any promise there. And I'm looking at Adam here, verse 17. And the, cor- the curse is not doing work, right? Anybody who has ever done work knows that it's a blessing. But it says there that now you're going to have to, it's the sweat off your brow. It's going to be hard work. But there's no blessing there. There's no redemption. That's right. And then it was blessed after the flood, right? That's why you can grow so much corn. I know. And the thing is that the blessing, the promise, the redemption is actually found in a curse. Not to Adam and Eve, but to the serpent. Look at what it says there. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise, sorry, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And as I was looking at that, it's kind of blown away by the blessing that's found in the midst of that curse. And you can actually go through the Old Testament and you can see where God curses the enemies of God, which is a blessing for the family of God. But again, that was hidden from my eyes until, you know, the last little one, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. One of the things that we talked about when we came to Genesis, uh, a few I wonder where I... Oh, I know where I put it. 
I just put it in. It was my bookmark. We're not going to go through this again. But we looked at Genesis and the summary of Genesis, and we saw how God separated the light from the darkness. And the promise given to Adam was that Adam's race was going to be redeemed through his offspring. When we look at the redemption that's taking place all the way through history, we can think of, well, where was Abram? He lived in the Ur of the Chaldees, and God redeemed him from the Ur of the Chaldees and told him to go to Canaan. And there in Canaan, so he's going to have he's going to have his own offspring, and through Abraham, the world is going to be blessed. We can look at uh, so many aspects of redemption. And when we look at, even at uh, Israel, they're in slavery in Egypt, and God simply took them, redeemed them from slavery, and got them into the promised land. Why? Because God said he would do that. He promised that they would go into the promised land. I just heard this recently, and I'm not sure, I don't have time to check it, but almost all civilizations like Britain, like Greece, the, kind of the, the maximum life expectancy of those countries, that power is about 200 years. If you look at the scriptures, when David came to power, it was 400 years that uh, Israel was a nation which is miraculous. The blessings of redemption. Now, one of the things that was interesting, last Sunday I mentioned the uh, challenge of translating that one word, supremacy, and I liked what the NIV did. Well, I don't know, anybody have the NIV here? If you have the NIV, they actually add some words to this passage, which takes away from the meaning that's there. And I'm going to read that passage uh, to you so that you can uh, catch a glimpse of what I'm talking about here. It says here that, um, giving thanks to the Father, this is verse 12 again, to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The New International actually puts in the kingdom of light. 
That's unfortunate. Because the contrast here is, again, light and darkness. The Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom, sorry, brought us into the inheritance of the saints in light. There's many blessings when we look at what we're talking about when we talk about light and darkness. Uh, Just turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. And listen to the blessings there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There's lots of passages. Here's another one. How about turning to 1 Peter 2.9? 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. Who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's redemption, the forgiveness of sins, he has called us out of the domain of darkness into his light. The inheritance of the saints. Last month we were talking, I think it was February, what's the gospel? The gospel is the life and the work of Jesus Christ. When we talk about redemption, it's the forgiveness of sins bringing us into the light of the saints, the inheritance that God has, and It says here, bringing us into the kingdom. Now, some version has the kingdom of his son whom he loves. Now, the ESV describes it in in kind of an almost seems like a distant way. Um, The domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, the son whom he loves. I was reading that, and we're in the kingdom prepared for us by the Son when he became man, died and rose again. He is the head of the church. We are in the kingdom of his Son whom he loves. The scary thing, the scary thing are for those who don't love the Son. This life is done. You're standing in front of the throne of God. We just read that this son is the one whom the father loves, and you've thrown him away. 
the Jehovah's Witnesses simply, well, he's not that important. They're always talking about Jehovah. And can you imagine how they are going to experience that encounter with God? The love that the Father has for his Son is absolutely essential for us to have that love for the Son. Turn with me to Psalm 2. I've been listening to uh, Dr. Godfrey talking about the entire book of the Psalms. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. I might might be completely wrong, but um, I have this vision in my mind of King David walking around with the book of Psalms in his hand. These are royal psalms. He wrote psalms. And I think as uh, Israel progressed, that the royalty had the important job of bringing the psalms to the people. And we see many, many places where David wrote the psalms. But listen to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in their fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decrees. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, your heritage rather, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And there we have a beautiful example of the way that our God loves the Son, His Son. Kiss the Son, lest He is angry with you. We talk about redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And when we think about our sins are forgiven, we can't help but think about the best chapter in the Bible. The best chapter in the Bible. I don't know if you have a best chapter in the Bible. 
But most people think the best chapter in the Bible is Romans 8. I think most of you probably have memorized the very first verse. Have you not? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven of our sins. We are redeemed. We have a liberty in Christ. When we think about what he has done, the forgiveness of sins, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through his blood. And the wrath of God is appeased. We can use that big, long word, propitiation. But let's look at the one step that brings us closer to the end of the message, but to our understanding of how Christ sustains us. He sustains us through redemption, through the forgiveness of sins. But one of the things that we need to always remember, and that is because of Christ, There's only one word that we need to realize that really is important to us, and that is mercy. He is merciful to us. Let's look at uh, the last little bit when it deals with reconciliation. Verse 20, look at what it says there. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without without blemish and free from accusation. Now the ESV has a slight difference, difference there. But the thing that we read here is how Christ sustains us. And the way that he sustains us is that we cleave to the Father. He has, through his blood on the cross, paid the price for our sin. But there's one more step. If you think about it, and many, I think, Christians have not thought of it far enough, but if your sins have been completely forgiven, how? Death on the cross. What happens when you sin again? Does not Christ have to go and die again for you? Well, when we think that we are forgiven and we're like Adam and Eve now in the garden, good, Why did Jesus come for Adam and Eve? Because they were sinners. They needed to be redeemed. Every time they would sin, they would need a redeemer. But there's something more that's added here. There's something new, something that we haven't maybe seen, and that is it says here that he reconciled us to himself. 
Meaning, we are now at peace with God. How, are we, how can we be at peace with God? How many times have you sinned today? How can you be at peace with God? It says that he reconciled us to himself. When we stand before the throne of God, we can't pull out our list of things that we've done that uh, are supposed to please God. But rather, Christ died on the cross to take your sins. He took my sins. But he did one more thing. And that is, he reconciled you to the Father through giving you his righteousness. I think we need a series on the righteousness of God so that we can understand fully what that actually means. That you and me, when we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Christ has reconciled us to the Father through his sacrifice on the cross. That he took your unrighteousness, nailed it to the cross, put an end to that. But more than that, it's God's righteousness that now dwells within you that establishes peace between you and God. There is peace. Reconciliation. How many times have you uh, caught your child doing what they're not supposed to do? You said you weren't going to take those cookies out of the cookie jar. Have you ever turned to somebody and said, you know you've sinned, that was bad. How many times have you looked in the mirror and you said to yourself, you promised you would never do that again? We are at peace with God. When, this is one something I think I think is a valid point. And it was from Dwight Moody. I read, I read a little book of his a long time ago, and he said the following, don't promise that your yes be yes, your no be no, but don't promise that you're never going to do it because what's going to happen is you're going to do it. But what is the end result? He died for us, redemption, we have forgiveness of sins, and he has reconciled us to God because we are his righteousness. And so when we fall again, and why do you fall? Why do you do the things you're not supposed to do? Because the love of God has waned a little bit in your life, and you're going to do, you're going to choose the chocolate mint ice cream rather than the broccoli. But if we are in love with Christ, the more we are in love with Christ, the less we're going to fall into sin. But what is the promise that we have in 1 John chapter 1, 
verse 9. When we fall into sin, what is the promise there? He is what? Faithful and just to do what? To forgive our sin. So when we look at the mirror and I said, I was not going to do that ever again, we don't do that. We turn to, the, to our God and say, forgive me. And he is what? Faithful and just to forgive our sin. Now, there's one word I liked in the NIV rather than the ESV. It talked about accusation. Free from what? Accusation. Free from accusation. One of the most important things that we need to realize, and it's this, the devil can't read your mind. The only thing the devil can do is say, look, you promised you would never do that. You're a sinner. But he hasn't looked into your mind to know all of the things that you have done that were sinful. I'm not sure who said this. He was one of the Christian leaders in the past. He felt accused of the devil. And he said this, you don't know the half of it. When the devil accuses us of sin, he doesn't know the half of the things that we have committed that's a sin. But what is it that we know for certain? That we are in the kingdom of the Son that the Father loves, and He has forgiven us. He has redeemed us, forgiven, and we are at peace with God. And when we confess our sin to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive our sin. Why? Because of Christ. The more we love Christ, the more we realize that we are forgiven, the more that we're going to be following, as it says in Galatians, we're going to walk with the Spirit. And does the joy fill our hearts? Often. But when we stumble and fall, we wonder if we're ever going to make it. And wait a minute. We aren't going to make it on our own. We make it because Christ redeemed us. He reconciled us. And when we stand before the throne of God, it's Jesus who is going to present us to the Father. What, was, what does it say in those last few verses? Holy, blameless, A, yeah, beyond reproach, you are going to stand before the God. When this world is over, you are going to be holy and blameless, regardless of what you've done here, because you do what? You love the Son. I'm not sure who said this. Uh, I think it was one of the reformers. We are both sinners and saints at the same time. This body of ours. Well, I think it was actually... Uh, uh, John MacArthur gave this illustration. I thought this was kind of neat. Um, Lazarus was raised from the dead, right? And uh, they said, oh, don't roll the stone away. He stinks. When we are living in this world of sin, our body stinks of sin. It's dying. 
But Christ has redeemed us, has reconciled us, so that we are free from accusation and we are holy and blameless in his sight. What do we do now? Let's, one more psalm and then we're done. One more psalm. You win a million dollars if you can guess which psalm I'm going to choose. No, I'm not going to give you a million dollars. I'm not going to give you that promise. But what's the best psalm when it talks about Psalm 51? Turn to Psalm 51. We're not, we're not going to read all of Psalm 51. But again, so many songs have been written based on Psalm 51. My favorite actually is uh, Keith Green's song. And the reason why I like Keith Green's song is it was the first one I heard concerning Psalm 51. And sometimes you're, uh, you like the first psalm that you actually, the first song that you've actually heard. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Amen? What a blessing it is to have Christ as our Savior, as our God, as our sustainer. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for what your Son has done for us. We thank you for the family of God that we can, as a family, grow together knowing what you have done We are part of the inheritance of your son. And that's just incredible to think that we are his inheritance. We rejoice in that. And now as we part, give a safe journey and give us rejoicing in our hearts because of what you have done. Amen.